0: Hello, and welcome to The Adventure Podcast. This podcast is about helping listeners learn from and meditate on our sermons from anywhere at any time. Thanks for joining, and let's get started. So, you got that. All right, so I want to talk to you today about the question... If you're in any, uh, it's hard to miss this when you get into any social groups on Facebook and so forth. But there is, the the myth is out there, doesn't religion cause violence? Hmm. Well, between, uh, around 1930, between the first and second world wars, The British philosopher and atheist Bertrand Russell made this claim. Religion prevents us from removing the fundamental causes of war. Religion prevents us from teaching the ethic of, listen to this, scientific cooperation in place of the old fierce doctrines of sin and punishment. It is possible that mankind is on the threshold of a golden age. But if so, it will first be necessary to slay the dragon that guards the door. And this dragon is religion. And that's not an unpopular view, but is it true? Well, honestly, you don't need to know very much history to agree with Bertrand Russell that violence And religion are often in fairly close proximity. They're not far apart. But today, let's talk about what's really a complicated question. And let's look at it by looking at religious history. And honestly, let's engage in some critical thinking today to intellectually answer an emotionally charged question, but to answer it truthfully, to answer it objectively. All right, so here we go. Number one, is violence a natural part of religion? So what I'm going to do, I want to contrast two religions for you today as we're kind of digging into this thing. I want two of them up front here. All right, so the first one, A, is Christianity. That's us, right? Let's look at us. Rejection of violence was a consistent flowing theme through all of Jesus' teachings. Matthew 5. But now I tell you, do not take revenge on someone who wrongs you. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, let him slap you on your left cheek too. Matthew 5.44. But now I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In Luke 22, remember this story? So they're gathered in the Garden of Gethsemane and they've been praying and their prayer time is interrupted by the the temple guard shows up with some Romans and they arrest Jesus. And do you remember what Peter did? Peter who's like some of you people with your concealed carry pistols, you never practice. You will never hit a target. If we ever have a dangerous situation here, our request of you is to just run, right? (laughs) Don't stand and fight. You're going to hurt an innocent person. So Peter pulls out his sword and swings it, but he's clumsy at it. And the guy he's swinging at has time to go. So Peter doesn't get his head, but he gets part of his ear. Remember what Jesus did? Jesus turned, looked at Peter and said, stop it. What are you doing? And he put the guy's ear back on. Human nature says, I should act morally toward my tribe. People like me, whether they're family, whether they're my physical neighbors, whether they're of the same religion or whatever, I should act morally toward my in-group. But anyone who's not in my in-group is fair game. I don't have to think about them. And so that's been human nature. What Jesus did, Jesus took that script and flipped it as he laid on the cross with the soldiers pounding the nails into him and he prayed what? Father, strike them dead. May their children be born with feet in place of their nose. No, he didn't curse them at all. He said, God, Father, please forgive them. They don't understand what's happening. And his first followers continued that theme of grace and forgiveness and love in the face of violence, with many of them going willingly and proudly to their deaths while proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. But a few centuries after that, Christians started to drift away and become their own in-group. Many people will point to the atrocities of the medieval crusades to show that Christianity is violent. And honestly, when they do that, it kind of makes all of us a little bit tense, doesn't it? When you hear about Christians committing violence and someone accuses you of being one of those, that makes us a little tense. And there are a lot of often parroted myths about the original causes of the crusades. Believe me, whatever you've been told is probably not true. But I don't want to address that today. We'll save that for another day. I don't want to address the violence and the atrocities committed by non-believers against God's people. What I want to talk to you today about as believers is violence committed by believers. That's what we need to deal with. And regardless of the first cause of the first crusade... When they conquered Jerusalem in 1099 A.D., you know what they did? Tens of thousands of Muslim men and women were put to the sword by people in the name of Jesus. Combat was over. The enemy had been disarmed. The military objective was won. And yet, mass... Innocents were massacred in the name of Jesus Christ. And that pattern continued through all the crusades. Man, what in the world is wrong with us? Now, don't misunderstand me on this. Jesus was against violence. Jesus was by no means a pacifist. He was not a pacifist. And that's a discussion for another day. But in Luke 22, Jesus told his disciples, go buy a sword. That's go buy a concealed carry weapon to protect yourself and your family. And honestly, it is possible to make a Christian argument for a limited military intervention to protect the vulnerable, whether you're defending a physically persecuted minority in 11th century Jerusalem, or maybe you're defending 20th century Jews in Germany. A case can be made for that. But the repeated New Testament directives against violence make killing indiscriminately The slaughter of civilians, unjustifiable from any recognizably Christian perspective. Now, let's go back to the Crusades. So 100 years after the First Crusade, we're already up to the Fourth Crusade. And as the Fourth Crusade is marching from Europe, I think the goal of the Fourth Crusade was to go down and beat up on Egypt at that point. There had been a big schism in the church, and so now you had Eastern Orthodox, and then you had the Roman church and the church in Constantinople. The European Christians attacked and sacked the Eastern Christians in Constantinople, which was the largest Christian city in the world, with a population of over 300,000 residents. You say, how many did they kill? Just a few years after that, there were only 40,000 people in Constantinople. That's Christian on Christian violence. Now, part of that attack was in revenge for when the, the Roman church split into the Eastern church and the Western church. The Eastern church people treated pretty badly the Latins. The, the European Christians, the Western Christians, and they massacred them. And so this was a revenge raid for that. But here's what it does. It exposes a tragic reality of Christian history, despite the biblical bonds of Brotherhood and sisterhood across color, across culture, across nation, across language, within the church, despite that call for those biblical bonds, despite Jesus' commands to love each other, despite his commands to love our enemies, despite his own rejection of violence, despite the way early Christians gladly faced martyrdom in the last 2,000 years. We have seen Christians repeatedly engaged in violence against other Christians. That continued up through the Hundred Years' War. If you want to read some really interesting history about how badly Christians can behave, the Hundred Years' War between England and France is massive. It's the primary reason there are no Christians in, in Europe anymore. <laughs> well, there are, but why their numbers are so small. And that fighting, it continued through the Reformation as Christians killed each other in the Reformation's. It continued through the American Civil War. It continued through the conflicts between Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland. It continued through the Rwandan genocide back in 94, remember that? Where hundreds of thousands of Tutsi tribesmen were killed by the Hutu majority government in a nation that had the highest rate of professed Christians in all of Africa. 90% of the Rwandan population claimed Christ. And yet they massacred each other. So, there is, there's no Questioning the fact. Uh, people say, well, you know, Christians don't really do that. Christians have always done that. I mean, they just have always done that. We're really bad at that. There's no debate about the fact that many unethical acts of violence have been perpetrated by Christians through the centuries. In some cases, in some cases when committed in the defense of the vulnerable, you can make a case for that you know it's been necessary at times been justifiable but in most of the cases it's been utterly irreconcilable with the teachings of Jesus Christ folks we have blown it now i want to contrast buddhism there's your next one b is for buddhism now i'm not a buddhist theologian or apologist And I don't pretend to be. Um, But I've spent several full days over the last month reading the teachings of the Buddha looking for something on violence. And I gotta tell you, Buddha didn't endorse violence any, any less or any more than Jesus did. He didn't. It's just not there. But if Islam and Christianity conjure up in your mind visions of jihads and crusades and all that kind of stuff, Buddhism has come to evoke scenes of peaceful meditation, sand gardens, <laughs> little pools with rocks and koi, little koi ponds, right? It's come to evoke that kind of thing and there are a lot of famous personalities including Sting, George Lucas, Steve Jobs, Orlando Bloom, Tiger Woods, Angelina Jolie, Mark Zuckerberg, Kung Fu Panda, and a karate kid, who have all suggested to us that Buddhism is the peaceful outlier in a very violently religious world. i'm afraid that's really far from the truth that's good marketing but it's really far from the truth new york times december 15th 2017. southeast bangladesh near the myanmar border ethnic cleansing and even genocide are antiseptic and abstract terms when They mean in the flesh, excuse me, what they mean in the flesh is a soldier grabbing a crying baby girl named Suhaifa by the leg and flinging her into a bonfire. Or troops locking a 15-year-old girl in a hut, setting it on fire. The children who survive are left haunted. Nur Kalima, age 10, struggles in, in class in a makeshift refugee camp. Her mind drifts to her memory of seeing her father and little brother shot dead her baby sister's and infant brother's throats cut, and the machete coming down on top of her own head, her hut burning around her. Doctors Without Borders, which is, I love those guys. Doctors Without Borders estimated that 9,000 Rohingya Muslims, including 1,000 children, have died after attacks like that in Myanmar, attacks by the Buddhist majority. 2018 New York Times op-ed asked why are we surprised when Buddhists are violent? And it reminds us that, and I quote, there is no shortage of historical examples of violence in Buddhist societies. Sri Lanka's civil war from 1983 to 2009 was fueled by specifically Buddhist nationalism and killed more than 100,000 people. Violence and rioting in modern Thailand is committed by Buddhists. Violence and sexual assault within the Dalai Lama's own sect of Buddhism is rampant and under investigation all the time. There is a growing body of scholarly uh, literature on the complicity of Buddhist institutions and World War II Japanese nationalism. But, don't miss my point. My point is not that Buddhism, not that Buddhism is particularly violence-inducing. It's not. It's not. Millions of Buddhists leave peaceful, calm lives, as do millions of Christians. But if we think of Buddhism as a religion free of blood then we overlook the violence that goes on even today. The 2016 Martin Scorsese film Silence gave voice to the persecution and the religious executions of tens of thousands of Christians at the hands of Shinto Buddhists, at, a, at the Shinto Buddhist government in 17th century Japan. Many of the tortures and the executions so graphic, the writers didn't even try to record it because they couldn't. So, again, there's religion, Again, there's violence. So you can kind of understand why you start seeing people like John Lennon saying, imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion to. Imagine all the people living life in peace. By the way, Lennon openly acknowledged that he wrote that song along the lines of the Communist Manifesto. It was an endorsement. It was a way to get you to participate in a political team without even knowing it. Because he shared Bertrand Russell's view of religion that it's just all violent. So what if we had a religion-free world? What would that look like? Let's go to number two. What about a religion-free world? It's been attempted Having been raised in a Lutheran church, Karl Marx knew of how Jesus had championed the poor and the oppressed and how he and the early Christians had cared for each other. They cared for anyone in need. He knew how the early church had invented hospitals, had established a welfare system, had cared for the needy. But Marx saw how these supposedly Christian countries of Europe had completely missed the mark and fallen short of that promise. Get this. Christians turned Marx against Christianity. Christians turned him against Christianity. So here's what he wrote. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature the heart of a heartless world, the soul of a soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people, the abolition of religion, excuse me, as the illusory happiness of the people is the demand for their real happiness. So what did he do? He said, well, if we could just get rid of religion, then people could deal with reality and find happiness. So what did he do? He created an anti-religious religion. (laughs) Communism. You say, wait, communism's not a religion. It absolutely is. And for some of you, being a Republican's a religion. For some of you, being a Democrat's a religion. Whatever you put your faith in is your religion. So he created a movement for which the elimination of religion and religious people who refused to conform was just simply a necessary step on the road to setting things right in the universe. If you don't bow, you're removed. You're eliminated. And the violence, the oppression of communism against its own people is shocking. 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 61 million people slaughtered in the USSR. That's five times the population of Illinois, 20 times the population of Iowa, the equivalent of one-fifth of the US. Put to death because they wouldn't do what Marx wanted them to do. 35 million slaughtered in the People's Republic of China. That persecution still goes on. There's a group there called the Uyghurs right now who are being persecuted for their their faith. You combine China and Russia together with a bunch of the little vassal states like North Korea, Cambodia, Vietnam, and so on, and you will find that in the last 105 years or so, communist governments have murdered nearly 200 million of their own people. But we're kind of like, well, I don't really care. They're communists. It's kind of what they do. You realize the believers are, are praying like crazy in Ukraine right now because the Russians are going to come in and kill a bunch of people here in the next few days unless something dramatic happens. Political science, R.J. Rummel spent his career studying data on collective violence by governments against people. It's called democide. And his idea was he thought if he could figure out the real causes behind it, he could stop it from happening. But here's what he said. Of all religions, secular and otherwise, that of Marxism, he's calling Marxism a religion because that's what people were putting their faith in. That of Marxism has been by far the bloodiest. Marxism has meant bloodied terrorism, deadly purges, lethal prison camps, and murderous forced labor, fatal deportations, man-made famines, extrajudicial executions and fraudulent show trials, outright mass murder and genocide. So Marxism doesn't work. And I'm amazed at how it's gathering traction in this country, especially among young kids. A lot of people go, what's wrong with that generation? You know what's wrong with that generation? You and me, because we raised them. And we didn't take it seriously. We didn't do what God called us to do with our kids. We did not disciple our kids. That's where that problem's coming from. All right, so let's jump out of that. What if, we had a reali- what if we had a world that was just based on science, number three? How about if we could just base it on science, right? Physicist Freeman Dyson, who's the author of Disturbing the Universe and several other uh, really interesting books, gave a warning about trying to build a world on science. Here's what he said. The public has a distorted view of science because children are taught in school that science is a collection of firmly established truths. In fact, science is not a collection of truths. It is a continuing exploration of mysteries. Do you understand when someone says science has proven, they don't know what they're talking about already? Science doesn't prove anything. Science just eliminates options, but it doesn't prove. Case in point, the danger of science on this. And I, I happen to love science. That's kind of in my wheelhouse. Hitler came to power three years after Bertrand Russell had declared that religion prevents us from teaching the ethic of science, scientific cooperation. Hitler was using what was at the time accepted science to justify his racist ideology he argued in Mein Kampf now listen for Darwin in this if nature does not wish that weaker individuals should mate with the stronger and by the way he's not talking about Detroit Lions fans meeting with Kansas City Chiefs fans After the game today, you will think I'm one of the funniest things that ever happened. (laughs) If nature does not wish that weaker individuals should mate with the stronger, she wishes even less that a superior race should intermingle with an inferior one. Because in such a case, all her efforts... Throughout hundreds of ye- thousands of years to establish an evolutionary higher stage of being may thus be rendered futile. So, in Hitler's view, the Aryan race was superior based on science. Huh. He went on, the stronger must dominate and not mate with the weaker, which would signify the sacrifice of its own higher nature. Only the born weakling can look upon this principle as cruel. And if he does so, it's merely because he is of a feebler nature and narrower mind. For if such a law did not direct the process of evolution, then the higher development of organic life would not be conceivable at all. So Hitler's philosophy and fascist philosophy were based on contemporary science. But it was science that had a bias from the beginning, which means it's not science in your box there. Two things you've got to understand about science. Science is built on asking questions. Therefore, it is against the very nature of science itself to silence questions. Science that seeks to silence questions is no longer science, but rather what? Propaganda. You really want Dr. Fauci determining what your country's going to be like? I mean, even though the, the idea of evolutionary hierarchy of races is scientifically unsustainable, Hitler's belief in it was supported by many scientists of the day in Germany and in the United States of America. Google Americans who supported Hitler. You're going to be shocked. Many of them were parts of our government. Many of them served in our government until the last 15 years or so. So that ought to make us concerned when people suggest that we can replace religion with science and expect the world to be a better place. Science is not designed to give us morals. Science can help us make worse chemical weapons or it can help us make better therapeutic drugs, but it can't tell us when to use them and when not to use them. For that, we need God. Number four, well, what about the American way, right? What about a democracy? What if we had a universal democracy and everyone could just vote? Hitler himself gained power in a democracy. North Korea, as known as the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, democracies know protection against persecution because when you have a democracy if everything is divided or everything is decided by popular vote there's always going to be at least a 49 percent minority right so 49 percent of the people are always going to be made to do something they don't want to do to you and i democracy looks like a self-evident good but there's two problems two problems with that view that democracy is going to be good problem number one Democracy only survives with a strong moral base. The growth and the spread of democracy has been directly tied to Christianity. Directly. Every time. But we've got to be careful that we're not romanticizing that marriage between democracy and Christianity because Christians have helped cultivate, yes, we have helped cultivate ideas of equality, ideas of... of, of uh, fairness ideas of human value and so forth but we have also perpetuated repressive ideas of statism and elitism but the biblical ethic of human equality regardless of color regardless of status regardless of any of that the biblical concept that leaders are to serve people not the other way around. The realistic view of human nature has allowed nations with a Christian influence to do better in regards to human rights than nations that don't have. We have better economies than nations that don't have. Political science... Scientist Robert Woodbury has shown that the historical presence of Christian missionaries in the past has been, and I quote, a crucial catalyst initiating the development and spread of religious liberty, mass education, mass printing, newspapers, voluntary organizations, colonial reforms, thereby creating the conditions that have made stable democracy more likely. Got to have a strong moral base. Problem number two democracy democracy is incompatible with the second largest religion in the world islam so unlike christianity islam prescribes a set political structure and a set of laws that are hard to recognize or hard excuse me that are hard to reconcile with actual democracy with actual freedoms and it's hard for you and I to get. And we have, we thought since the Second World War, we knew how the world worked. We haven't known how the world worked. Not everyone wants to be part of a democracy. Not everyone is prepared to be part of a democracy. Remember the Arab Spring in 2010? We watched as Muslims revolted against uh, their, their governments all around the world man, Western media completely misunderstood what was happening. Completely misunderstood what was happening. We all thought when it was over, we're watching, thinking with this idea, there's going to be a new democracy there. They're going to be free. They're going to throw off their chains. They're going to be like us. In Tunisia, where the protest started, that did mostly happen. But Libya, Syria, Yemen, and Iraq all collapsed into civil wars with tens of thousands of civilian deaths and the rise of a new group called ISIS. The protests that happened in Bahrain were crushed militarily. And you know what? The media never considered the possibility that many of the protesters were actually Islamicists trying to overthrow what they saw as a liberal government so they could establish a more conservative Sharia law-based government. And that's what they did. And so for democracy to be born and survive, the right philosophical foundations have to be a part of that culture. Studies show that where the Christian faith has been where we have taught the equal value of all humans, where we have taught about freedom, where we have taught to care for the poor, that's the viable soil. But that's not been everywhere. So number five, what's the real problem? So violence isn't a religion problem. Violence is a human problem. (laughs) Anywhere you get humans, you're gonna have conflict. Anywhere you have two of them, you're gonna have conflict. I'll I'll tell you this, I argue with me all the time. (laughs) Ever look at yourself in the mirror and go, you idiot. The only reason you don't fight yourself is because it hurts. (laughs) Otherwise, you'd punch that sucker in the mouth. See, Marx was right when he diagnosed the problem. Christians have failed to deliver on what their boss said to do. He was right about that. So why why did the Crusaders slaughter Christians? Why did the Crusaders slaughter innocents? Why did Christian nations slaughter each other? Why did so many German Christians side with Hitler? How did a majority Christian America support slavery and segregation for so long? Well, here's the first answer, A. Not all who claim Jesus follow Jesus. And sometimes that's you and me. Listen, we cannot assume assume that everyone who identifies as Christian is. See, Christianity isn't a designation. Christianity is a lifestyle. You don't have the lifestyle, believe me, you don't get the designation. Jesus was describing the final judgment, and he was speaking of those who were going to be surprised at the final judgment. Good church-going people who were going to be surprised at the final judgment when he rejected them. Here's what he said, Matthew 7. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually what? Who do the will of my father in heaven will enter. It's a lifestyle and lifestyles are based on activity, right? B, the Bible teaches us that God's people will mess up. Just a quick survey. Has anybody else in here messed up since they found Christ or am I the only one? There's days all my prayers are apologies. You know how you just do that sometimes? But watch this, First John. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling who? Ourselves, right? Because the first person to believe every lie you tell <laughs> is you. We're only fooling ourselves, we're not living in the truth, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no actual place in our hearts. All right, conclusion. Violence is central to the Christian faith, but not the way a lot of people want to accuse us central to the heart of Christianity, is a symbol of extreme violence. The brutal, horrific, agonizing, torturous, state-sponsored execution of an innocent man. That's what the cross symbolizes. Because of the cross... And the violence that took place on it. We loathe violence. Some argue Christianity glorifies violence, but the meaning of the cross is precisely the opposite. Violence is the use of power by the strong against the weak and at the cross, the most powerful man who ever lived submitted to the most brutal death ever died. Why? To save the powerless. The cross doesn't glorify violence. The cross humiliates violence. At the cross, violence went one step too far. Listen, violence is not the result of a poor education. Violence is not the result of poverty. Violence is not the result of oppression. Violence isn't the product of religion. Violence is the product of sin. It's the product of us not being at peace with God. And the teaching of Jesus motivates us away from the violence and toward compassion. See, the opposite of violence is compassion. It motivated Christians in the fourth century to create places where the sick and poor could be cared for, places we now call hospitals. It motivated Martin Luther King Jr. to believe that nonviolent resistance could overcome violent oppression. It motivates Christians even today around the globe to sacrifice themselves in the service of others. In a New York Times op-ed entitled Evangelicals Without the Blowhards, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and human rights activist Nicholas Kristof writes this, go to the front lines at home or abroad And the battles against hunger, malaria, prison rape, uh, obstetric fistula, human trafficking or genocide. And some of the bravest people you meet are evangelical Christians or conservative Catholics, similar in many ways, who truly live their faith. Christoph writing about you. Christoph writing about you. In John 13... Jesus said, now I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And if you have love for one another, then everyone will know that you are my disciples. Is Jesus talking about you? Do people know? Can they just see your actions and know? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come today and to stop and take a look at our actions. Father, compassion is the opposite of violence. Then if we're not compassionate, we've just simply found new ways to be violent. Violence that withholds needed love. Violence that withholds needed aid. Violence that withholds peace from those who need it. Father, may we look at our lives this week. May we ask, what do people see in us? Do they see a political party? Do they see a sport? Or do they see your son living through us? And it's in Jesus' name we pray.